Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Today, I am speaking to a very dear friend. Uh, Wendy and I have been partners in crime in many activities over the years. And, you know, she has done so much to educate herself and learn about her illness. She's got a master's in public health, a master's in education. She has a kidney transplant. She was on dialysis for many years. But her main deal is she's a lupus survivor. And today she's going to talk to us about lupus and kidney disease and her outlook on life and anything else that comes to mind. Wendy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lori. I'm so glad to be here with you, my dear, dear friend. Yes, and I also have to say, uh, Wendy is the chairman of the board of Renal Support Network, which is uh, a wonderful thing that she's taken on to help help me with all my major ideas and and encourage me and you know be supportive. So I really appreciate that, Wendy. Uh, well, that's such an honor, Lori. It's it's very fun. All the things we we get to, and especially the prom. I mean, the prom is just I just, know. just the bomb, isn't it? Yes, that's uh, one of my all time favorites. So tell us a little bit about your story, because um, I want to set the stage for you know lupus, and and I want you to explain like you know what people need to do if they've been diagnosed with it. So okay, well, just a quick overview. You know, I could talk for years probably about my story, but. Um, it was 20 years ago I received the diagnosis of lupus after having just a multitude of weird um, symptoms and fatigue and um, hair loss. And just I noticed the changes in my body where my extremities were swelling, primarily my legs and my ankles. And, um, you know, I, I just knew something wasn't right with my health. And basically, over that time period of kind of trying to figure out what was wrong with me, I did receive the diagnosis of lupus. And um, surprising to me, I was kind of uh, relieved because I knew that something was wrong with me. But following that diagnosis, I began um, almost immediately to face the challenges of kidney failure. Um, lupus is an autoimmune disease that can attack just about any part of our body. And um, the kidney is one of the key organs that, for some reason, it will definitely attack if you especially are having a severe, you know, flare of, of lupus. And that's what happened to me. So um, beyond that diagnosis, I had to face um, kidney failure. And unfortunately for me, the treatments weren't enough for me because of the severity of that flare, and I had to begin dialysis. So um, that's kind of how I got here and, and introduced to the kidney community because it began, you know, a big journey for me. And, you know, when it comes to, think, you know, thinking about what you need to have in mind, kidney health is something we don't often think about whether you have lupus or not, especially as an African-American person. Our black person, we, we have to keep in mind that that health is, you know, 
something that we should have on our radar, just okay. having our kidney, yeah, checked. Well, and, you know, I mean, I was thinking about the word, we hear it a lot, autoimmune, mm-hmm. autoimmune. I mean, I know what it means, but I want to, you know, can you really explain it? Because people don't really get it. Right. That's. I'm so glad you asked me that. So autoimmune is basically where the immune system attacks itself. And just to kind of back it up, our immune system does a beautiful job of protecting protecting us from what I like to say foreign invaders or, you know, simpler, just things that don't belong in our body because they could cause us harm like viruses or bacteria. And so when those things enter our body, um, we have all different types of methods and cells that will attack to fight those things off to keep us healthy. However, when you have lupus, this particular autoimmune disease has what I like to say a glitch. And um, because it has a glitch, it fails to be able to recognize the difference in healthy tissues and cells versus things that are those foreign invaders that it needs to attack. So it's confused and it'll attack anything. And so it's trying to be helpful, but unfortunately it can't distinguish. So as much as it's trying to fight off things, it'll often attack that healthy tissue causing inflammation. And that's one of the key indicators with lupus. You'll see people have inflammation at different sites. It could be you know, inflammation around the heart sac. It could be inflammation in your joints. It could be inflammation, um, you know, at any any organ area, right. you'll also see rashes, rashes and stuff. So that's kind of an indicator of the activity for lupus. And, and, when it, and when it inflames your kidneys, I mean, that cuts the blood flow because inflamed right. means swollen. I mean, yeah. swollen and puffy. I mean, like when, um, and so when you say you have a flare, does that mean like you're getting more and more inflamed, right? Like it's, it's, and what's yeah. the treatment? What's the treatment when you have a flare? Well, there's a multitude of treatments, but you try to have, um, it's mainly all of the medications work to reduce the activity of, of lupus. So it kind of goes into activities and it can quiet down because your immune system is overactive. So it's just kind of like, you know, almost an immune system ADHD. You need it to go night-night. You need it to go night-night, but not too night-night, not too too much, because you need it to protect you from other things. Right. So we have um, prednisone. We often take Celsept. That's one of the things I take because I do have a kidney transplant. So a lot of anti-inflammatory medications, if you're not as, bad, you'll even see like the NSAIDs over the counter, Motrin and things like that. But most patients need something a little more severe or a little more aggressive to, to maintain those. We well, just had that um, big, um, you know, that big issue with um, hydroxychloroquine. That's actually one of the key medications for people with lupus, and that's an anti-malarial. And that, and, but basically, what that drug is is it it helps reduce in inflammation, mm-hmm. right? Isn't that yeah. yeah the primary function of it? It it's kind of a, and that's what's what's happening when you flare up. So, and yeah, when you have a transplant, you you're trying to prevent your your uh, immune system from fighting the kidneys, so you want to suppress it 
uh, with uh, immunosuppressant drugs, which is the same treatment for lupus, right? <laughs> yeah. Two for one. Yeah, so that's worked beautifully for me. You, you, know, you have to trick your body to, to believe that that new organ belongs to you. So it's, you know, accepted. So do they know what causes lupus? Well, there's not, it doesn't lead to a very, very specific cause, but we do now know that uh, lupus develops with the combination of your genetic makeup and your environmental exposures. So genetically, there's about 50 biomarkers that have been found to, uh, to lead to the development of lupus. And then when it comes to environmental exposures, there's things like um, silicates. Um, but the biggest thing is uh, the sun. So as you know, exposure to sun or that sunlight actually um, activates the immune system. So, you know, it's already overactive, as I mentioned before. So that's kind of like another another factor so that revs it up. That's interesting. So when you go into the sun, your, your body, um, I guess... What I, I've heard when you go outside and get some sun, it helps boost your immune system because your body, um, but you don't want it to boost as much when you have lupus. So, right. so what people have lupus, yeah, makes a negative for yeah, people. For someone lupus. healthy, that would be great because we need our vitamin D. But with people in lupus, you know, the, that's kind of like, you know, that extra amp that we don't really need. So you have to avoid being in the sun for direct, uh, you know, during the direct times between 12 and 3. But that actually varies between person to person. So, you you know, you have to be careful. Some people are mo more photosensitive than others, but you do have to protect yourself. Even in the house, you have to be careful with the amount of uh, light that you receive. That's kind of, that's that's very interesting. Have they found that there's a genetic connection with lupus? Yeah, there is, but I don't know what specific uh, genetic factors we have. They have found biomarkers and things that indicate, but it's not like one specific thing that says, oh, this is what it is, because lupus manifests itself differently from person to person. So, for example, let's say you and I both have lupus. My kidneys were attacked. I even had my central nervous system attacked, and that's pretty severe, but... For example, you might just have, you know, the painful joints, and that's mainly what's attacking you. You might have rashes because there's actually four forms of lupus. We have a neonatal one that's found in babies. We have a drug-induced one, which is the only one that's curable. It's like having an allergic reaction to a medication, and then you see those symptoms. But when you discontinue it, it goes away, and you have... Um, Discoid, which is isolated to the skin, so you'll see like scarring um, on the skin, the scalp, you might see hair loss. And then you have the SLE, which is the systemic version, which means anything is gained, the skin, the heart. And so this is the most common version um, of lupus. So depending on how it manifests or what it attacks, you have to customize your care so you can't always, you know, compare that. So going back to the genetics, that could be an indicator of what areas um, in your genetics that might be involved. Yeah, it's so um, pretty you complex. Know, it, it is. And you know, who's more likely to get lupus? Well, 90% of people with lupus are women. Um, and it is believed that hormones are a factor for this percentage. 
10% of men, of course, have um, the disease. However, when they do have lupus, they often uh, suffer more severely from the symptom. So males report more severe symptoms than women? Yes, even though they're um, least likely to have lupus, studies have shown that when they experience the common symptoms of lupus, they often experience them more severely than women. The other thing about who gets lupus is when you compare them across ethnicities, you will see that African-Americans followed by Latinos, Asians, including Asian Pacific Islanders and Native Americans are more likely to develop the, the disease. So within those minority um, areas, you'll see that women of color will develop lupus two to three times more um, often than a Caucasian person or woman and um, we'll have the onset like earlier in the range. So it ranges from 15 to 44. So within those communities, you'll see that they often will develop lupus earlier and more severely. And has there been any, any association with like stress? Uh, oh, yes. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's the other trigger besides fun. So those are the two big babies. You have to definitely control your stress because this is definitely something you have to um, monitor so that you don't go into flares, which is kind of crazy, especially at this point in time of life. So you have to really, um, when you have lupus, you have to almost come up with a plan of how you're going to maintain rest and not overdoing it. Most people with lupus are type A personalities, which means they're very driven um, sometimes a little bossy, they're in charge of things, responsible for a lot of things. And so it's very hard to kind of, you know, calm down and take things off of your plate so you're not overworking yourself or, you know, stressed out. And then just life, you have to learn to recognize your triggers with stress to come up with the plan to, to not, you know, be overwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, that's just important message for all of us, you know, we yeah, got we to gotta learn our coping mechanisms, but when you pay yeah. such an immediate severe price, you learn mm -hmm. pretty quickly. Uh, when you go, to, which I have two questions, Wendy, when, what doctor would you go to to be diagnosed, and is it a black and white diagnosis, or does it take a while to figure it out? Well, you really need to see a rheumatologist for lupus. However, if the doctor is pretty savvy about the disease, they can often recognize, recognize it. On average, people with lupus will see about five doctors, and it'll take often a, an average of six years to correctly diagnose. Oh, my goodness. Um, it's six horrible. Years? I know. Yes, that's the average time because that leads into your second question. There's not a black and white uh, way to diagnose lupus. We do have that what's called the ANA test, which if it's high, that could be an indicator of lupus. But you also have to, in a way, I like to say now, build your case. Because you can have the weirdest symptoms, um, and they're kind of singular occurrences, and you don't understand why you might have that. Like, you might see, oh, my hair is falling out, or oh, my legs swell up or, oh, I have this rash on my face. And so they might not make sense immediately, but over time you notice that things are happening and you can start putting them together from that list of common occurrences because individually sometimes they don't seem like a big deal. 
Um, extreme fatigue is another one. And when I say that, it's like you can rest and you really don't recover. You'll never be 100% of your energy when you um, have lupus. And so when you put together those things and you go in and you, you know, kind of share them with the doctor and they run the series of tests, including the ANA, that's kind of the way that they come to the conclusion of what it is. It's a little perplexing when you think about, you know, how much you have to advocate for yourself because you may feel yeah. bad and then you go to a doctor. And I guess one of the things is, is if you can create some kind of timeline of what your symptoms are. So when you go to a doctor, when I went to a doctor recently, well, it wasn't recently, a few years back, I have like a one sheet of my, all of my like surgeries and everything. And, mm. and you really have to be like a detective to help people understand, you You're know, right. and doctors we... understand like, oh, there's a connection here. Her, her leg swelled and this, and it was July and maybe even put yeah. where you were at. I went to the beach but if you don't know to do that, um, it, it I can see how it could take six years because mm-hmm. you don't always feel that's bad. That's a great point. That's a great point. Even sharing where uh, you might have been, I didn't think about that because if you are being exposed to sun um, and you are at the beach, that's a huge indicator. You come home and then you feel like crap the next day, and you know you're active and going around doing your task or whatever you have to do, and the next day you can't get out of bed that's a key indicator that you might have had that exposure. Even at work, being under the ultraviolet light, if you see that you've been exposed to that or, you know, keep track of that, um, that's very, very important. And that's something we definitely recommend to people who think they might have lupus. And I think just in general is to make a journal, um, be prepared, use your smartphone. When you go into the doctor, have like that, you know, diary or rundown. And I love the fact that you said that you've, put all the surgeries in one sheet because often you'll see different specialists because like I said, it can manifest itself differently. And most people with lupus have a ton of specialists um, that they have to see. So they have to connect the dots. So that's a great point. Well, and it's, you know, doctors and healthcare professionals are busy. So um, I know that I like to, you know, give them, um, some some context of how I'm feeling and and it's really important to do that. Uh, I have a question because there's a lot of autoimmune illnesses. There's fibromyalgia. There's mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of them now. I just went blank. Um, <laughs> help me here. Crohn's. Crohn's. Um, what's the other one? Like chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm-hmm, they can get connective tissue. Yeah, they can get. They're there's all, a ton of autoimmune. There's a, a, a ton of them. And you know what percentage, or do you know, like of the population that could potentially have lupus? Do they have any numbers on that? Well, we do know that approximately 1.5 million people in America have lupus. However. There hasn't been um, a large-scale data collection or study in in quite some time. So most of us think that it it could be more, but that's the current number. And then 5 million people have some form of lupus worldwide. That's the current estimate. So it's not huge. It's a lot, but it's not overwhelmingly huge. But enough when it's you. When it's you that have it, it sucks when you're that statistic. (laughs) Right. And in comparison to kidney disease, when you look at the numbers, lupus does seem a little more uh, less likely 
to be something people will impact. But the thing that really got me about lupus was the devastation it could cause. You know, a lot of people can't work or they're not, you know, seen as dependable because they're up and down and round and round until they have, you know, a, a, a identified and a, a treatment plan that's kind of put in place for them. And so it could be it could be quite devastating. And then, you know, it affects people usually in their childbearing years. So like me, I was in the point of life building everything and planning and career-wise and all kind of stuff. And then it was just like the house of cards that got knocked down. And so that's one of the factors, too, with this disease is the long-term uh, um, devastation that could occur. Right. Because it's, you know, whenever you have any type of inflammation or your body doesn't hurt, you know, I know for me that I think, oh, what did I do? Did I overdo it? You don't think of something yeah. medically happening to your body. And right. so, um, you know, I can see how you could like, oh, I just overdid it doing this. And no, you're actually have an inflammatory response. Um, yeah. So let's move along treatments. Um, you've been transplanted now. uh is it nine years, 10 years? It's been 11. Oh, my God. 11 years. Going on 12. Going on 12. And, it, you know, is your is the lupus pretty well managed lately? Yes. Yeah, since my transplant, that was a wonderful, wonderful thing for me because the medications that I take for transplant are a lot of the medications that are necessary for, you know, controlling lupus. So... I've been in remission now all that time, and I feel very fortunate. So I've been able to work and, you know, live life, and I feel very blessed that, you know, the transplant has helped out with that. And what are the other treatments available? I know there's some innovation coming down the pike. Yeah, so we have um, one that was uh, put out, been listed. That was the first ever lupus medication. Um, I want to back up and say lupus is one of those diseases where it's not like a one-shot type of treatment, like I said, because it's so many different systems that can be affected, and people have to develop, have a treatment based on what uh, organ system or what area of the body is affected. But I'm, I'm so excited to share that lately what we're doing now is hoping and cheering for a new uh, lupus nephritis medication coming down the pipeline. Um, that's really something that has been a big blow for many people with lupus. As you know, with kidney disease, it's a very demanding um, right. condition in addition, you know, so to have lupus and that. So that's a really exciting, um, a really exciting area for clinical trials. We're really hoping and praying that that's going to be a good payoff. We went about 50 years without any new drug, uh, developed for lupus, and then we developed um, Benlista, which is an intravenous treatment. Um, many people take, like I said, the uh, hydroxychloroquine, um, which is the anti-malarial, and then we have the immunosuppressant, like the Celsep. Prednisone has been a wonderful treatment for most people with lupus, but over time, it's really hard on the body. Oh, God, I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> I've had yeah. some re joint replacements because of being exposed to so many steroids. And, you know, what's interesting is that when you say lupus nephritis, does lupus tend to affect the kidneys more than other organs? Yeah, it does. Huh. It's, the, it's the organ most is, likely to be. Is the you have about a 50 to 60% chance. 
Wow. Why does it like the kidneys so much? I mean, you know. You know what? I don't have a clue. I think it should go to the spleen or something where you don't need it. Yeah. 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 I mean. But it loves the kidney. It loves that kidney. And so you have to be really, really careful. Uh, Self-sets has been a medication our community has been able to use to protect the kidney. So a lot of people, if they have some form of kidney disease due to lupus, they are often put on self-sets to protect the kidney from that activity. Well, and it's, you know, the more we uh, learn about an illness, the more, you know, treatments that come up or uh, what to do. Um, Tell us a little bit about your position and what you're doing to help the lupus community. Well, I um, I took a new position. Actually, this is my one-year anniversary, and um, I decided to do a career change. I was a teacher, and I love that, but as you know, this community has been near and dear to my heart when I saw especially the need and the lack of awareness about kids, about lupus. And so um, I've taken on a new position for the Southern California region of the Lupus Foundation of America. I'm doing community outreach and engagement. I'm the manager for that area. And basically, two of my big roles are to help develop support systems for people in the region um, living with lupus, we now have um, 11 going on 12 support groups. I'll go ahead and say 12 because we'll be having a new Spanish um, support group. And so that's part of my work is making sure that there's more direct services for people with lupus. In the past, our area has, was more like a national support for the foundation, which is based in Washington, D.C., But over the past couple of years, it's been developing where we are developing more services to reach the people in the community. So we cover L.A. County, Orange County, San Diego County um, to try to make sure they have uh, support. And we're doing that virtually right now. And then the other area, which is also virtual, I'm overseeing our educational programs for the region. So we do uh, a program called Lupus Learning and Living where we bring in medical professionals or experts or people that have great information for the community to learn from as it relates to lupus to help educate patients and families. And so it's been such a rewarding area just like, you know, working with you, Lori, to just try to enhance the knowledge and the uh, quality of life for people and also teach them how to advocate for themselves because, you know, it's a tough thing to live with the disease and um, for families as well and people who are helping that person to understand. Well, knowledge is power, you know, really. Yeah. I mean, and the more, the more you learn, the less you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, now that everybody's online and doing Zoom conferences, you don't have to get in traffic or anything. Although it is great to sit in a room with people who have the same illness and have that connection. But it's, yeah. uh, it's a great opportunity to just sign on to a, a Zoom call and just listen to what people have to say. It may save your life in the future, something you learn. Um, You're so, right. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about how people can seek more information on lupus. Well, they could definitely go to our national website, lupus.org, L-U-P-U-S dot O-R-G, and we have a ton of resources. We have something that I love to recommend, which is the National uh, Resource Center on Lupus. It's basically an online library. Anything and everything uh, 
related to lupus can be there found there, whether you're um, just thinking you might have lupus. We have a great questionnaire you could take and take into a doctor. If you have a specific uh, question, like say, for example, like lupus nephritis or lupus in the kidneys, you can find information there. If, you, if you're a caregiver or a medical expert, everything is on that website. And then if you want to get in touch with us locally and see the event, you can go to lupus.org forward slash SoCal and everything we're doing in the region, our support groups, our events, um, and all that good stuff are listed there. Well, that's just so awesome. I mean, I've seen your journey and how, you know, you're an advocate in the kidney community, but, you know, lupus was your first first um, experience in the healthcare world. And, you know, adversity introduces you to yourself. You know, you've made a, a life to help others based on your experience to help them, you know, navigate care a little bit better. So, you yeah. know, this has been really informative, Wendy. Um, I think, you know, people need to understand so they can help their family members or friends. It's always good to learn about all kinds of different illnesses because yeah. you never know when, you know, you might need that information. And, you know, over the years, it's been really interesting because people have called me and, you know, I'm not a doctor. Okay, I will specify mm-hmm. that. But I'm sure you've gotten this because we've had so much experience. People call us and tell us something. I'm like... You mm-hmm. got you got this. You should go ask your doctor about this. And it's right. I'm usually right. And I'm like, yeah. oh my goodness, it's it's um you know, we've experienced so many things and and if you can go to a doctor and say, Hey, you know, could you check out this? It might lead yeah. them on the you know, it's you're not always right, but it might just save your life that you've gather this information or your quality of life, I should say. So Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, I mean, you never know when you're going to need that. Well, thank you so much, Wendy. Um, I will see you soon. And you're you're so knowledgeable and such an asset to the healthcare community. I, I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.